is my joy to welcome you to today's podcast. Our prayer is that the Lord will minister to you in a special way during our time together. And all those who are watching us online, I want you to be prepared. Uh, I believe that God has a word for every one of us. And uh, so I'm excited to share the word. I hope you're excited to listen to God's word. Every time we come into God's presence, let's be excited. You know, uh, I, I made it a custom the last few times I preached to actually uh, talk about one pastor from our leadership. You know, I spoke about different pastors, and uh, today I'm going to speak about one of the pastors. You know, I've told this before, we have a wonderful pastoral team. I enjoy working with them. I think it's the best team on earth. Uh, but individually, they're amazing people. Most, actually all of our pastors can do weddings, they can do funerals, they can do baby dedications, they can do, um, let's see, housewarming, uh, birthday parties, I mean they do most of it. But there is only one pastor among us who can do all this one evening. You know, everything put together, if you wanna call him, He's there for all five or six programs one evening. Now, if you're wondering who it is, most of you would have guessed it. It is Pastor Milton, you know. Uh, apart from God, the only person I feel who is omnipresent is pa Pastor Milton. Uh, Pastor, we, we love having you in the team. You know, I was going to talk about Pastor a little bit, and, uh, you know, I uh, called one of our common friends, and I told them to write a poem about Pastor so today I'm going to read a poem about Pastor Milton, uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a really nice poem. It actually tells you about his, you know, who he is and what he does. So here, here we go. Pastor Milton is one in a million. Soft interior, rock steady exterior. Loves God and his people. Bold, married to the beautiful. Short in stature, tall in nature. Warm and smiling, daring and dashing. Encourager to the core, peacemaker untold. Theologically and politically sound. Heartthrob on the football ground. A strong leader, yet a doting father. Youth love him, church treasures him. Neighbors envy, church's pride. One in a million, Pastor Milton. We love you, Pastor. You know, I have to say, uh, last year when I, you know, I was suspected having COVID. I had all the symptoms. Uh, it went to my chest. This is last, last year, uh, during the second wave. And uh, I, was, I was quarantined for about 20, 25 days. I couldn't meet my family, and I was there. And there was one, one day when the chest... Uh, you know, I could feel it become, like I would feel a little bit of breathlessness, you know. And uh, I had to do a CT scan and it showed something in my chest. Anyway, during that day, that was one of those days when fear hit me. You know, when you're quarantined, you're going through this, you're hearing about lack of oxygen, lack of beds. I mean, all this is happening. Suddenly, fear can hit you. And that day when fear hit me, I have to tell you, of course, I was trusting in the Lord, but one assurance I had is that Pastor Milton was around. You know, if I needed oxygen, if I needed bed, if I was in trouble, I knew whom to call. So thank you, Pastor, for being a hero to so many people. 
during this time. And may God bless you. And I know it takes sacrifice. You know, not just you, but your wife, Josephine, and the children. They miss you at home when you are out and you give your heart for the church. So we love you. We thank God for you. And I love working with you. So guys at home, if you can just clap your hands and just give him, you know, if you were here, I would give him a standing ovation. But thank you, Pastor Milton. Moving on to uh, what I'm here to share. As an introduction, I thought I'll talk about a few superlatives in the Bible. Now, I'm fascinated by superlatives in the Bible. You know, uh, the first one, I'm going to talk about a few. Uh, Solomon, all of us know this. Uh, in 1 Kings 3.16, uh, God comes and gives wisdom to Solomon. He says, I, give you, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never be anyone like you. There will never be nor there was anyone or they will never be. So Solomon, in superlatives, is the wisest man that ever lived, you know? And then it also talks about King Solomon. It's, uh, the, verse 23 says, King Solomon surpassed all the kings of the world in riches and in wisdom. So that's a superlative, all the kings of the world. And then moving on, talking about Moses, Moses, Numbers 12, 3, talks about Moses being the, a very humble man. In fact, it says, more so than any man on the face of the earth. That's a superlative. Moses, the most humble servant of God. Talks about John the Baptist in Matthew 11, 11. I assure you, among those born of women, no one greater than John the Baptist has appeared. But the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So that's about John the Baptist. Now there are some negative superlatives as well. You know, in Matthew 24, 21, Jesus says that for then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Then it talks about the flood, Genesis 9:15. I will remember my covenant between me and you and every living thing, every kind, Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Every time I see the words never or ever, I, it kind of drags my attention. Here's another one. Daniel 2.44 says, In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. Here's another one. Many of us wouldn't have seen this in the Bible. 2 Kings 23.25 says, Before him... There had been no king who turned to the Lord as he did, with his whole heart, his whole being, and his whole strength, in accord with the entire law of Moses. Nor did any king like him arise after him. This is about Josiah, the king. And finally, about Joshua. Joshua 10, 14. This is what the Bible says. And there has been no day like that before it or after it, that the Lord heeded the voice of man, for the Lord fought for Israel. That's where my, my whole fascination stopped, and I said, wow, look at this about Joshua. This is when, this uh, verse is written in Joshua 10, when actually the sun stood still. The, the Joshua commands the sun to stand still so that the people of Israel can win the battle and the sun stands still. 
And just like the sun stood still, my gaze stood still at Joshua. And I said, wow, I need to study about this man. So for the last couple of weeks, I've been studying about Joshua. And today, my message title is called, But the Young Man Joshua. Now, you might wonder what kind of a title is that. You'll get to know eventually when I, when I move, to, when I progress into the sermon. Now, when you talk about Joshua, there's so much we can talk about Joshua. His unquestioning obedience, uncompromised faith, extraordinary courage, exemplary humility. These are all the attributes of this great man and many more. But in order to really understand Joshua, I'm going to take you through a journey, the journey of his life. We are going to make this journey in three phases. Also, in every phase of this journey, I want you all to see that in every stage, God is manifesting himself with a special character or attribute. The three stages of Joshua's life. The first stage, and this is my first point, is Joshua, the obscure servant. Now, when you compare with Moses, Moses the leader before Joshua, and then Joshua takes over after Moses. But at the beginning of Joshua's life, there isn't much known about Joshua. In fact, the Bible only talks about his father. It, it doesn't talk about who Joshua's mother is, whether he had a wife, whether he has children, you know, uh, where, you know, details about his family is not mentioned, where Joshua was born. We know he was born in Egypt as a slave, but we don't know much about it. He, it was not so dramatic like Moses where, where he was sent in the river Nile. I don't know about Joshua. We don't know much about him. He didn't grow up in a palace. So it was a very obscure beginning for Joshua. Very obscure. But this obscure Joshua becomes the successor of Moses. Now, Normally, when you want somebody to you know, become your successor, you look for your children. Moses had sons. Aaron had sons. None of them were chosen to become Moses' successor. But it was Joshua. This obscure Joshua. When nobody saw him, God saw him. God sees you. No matter how obscure you feel right now or how insignificant you may consider yourself to be, God sees you. In fact, he sees you now. He saw you when you felt lonely, rejected, depressed like Hagar. God reveals himself as El Roi, God who sees. When Hagar, feeling dejected, feeling, feeling depressed, lonely, she was sent away. She felt so desperate and God consoles her because he is God who sees us. So no matter where you are and who you are, let me assure you, God sees you. In fact, Psalm 139.16 says that he saw you when you were formed, even before you were formed. That's what the Bible says. He sees what you can become. Psalms 139 verse 16 says, he has seen your days. He knows what you will become. He knows everything about you. Such knowledge is too high for me, too wonderful for me. But the problem is, we have developed this sense of insignificance over time based on limits that other people have placed on us. Based on limits that we have placed on ourselves. 
many times the words we hear about us, you know, either they build or destroy us. Many times they destroy us. I want to give you an example in, 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 in school, uh, when, I don't know in your school, but in my school, the favorite word for many of my teachers was useless fellow. I don't know if you, you got to hear that a lot. I would hear that over and over again, spoken over all of us. Somehow, I think because useless goes well with fellow, some of the girls don't get to be called useless, you know? It's just, the guys are useless fellow, useless fellow. You hear that. And then you go to the Hindi class. You hear it in Hindi. Right? Which means the same thing. Use good for nothing. And then you go to the Telugu, Telugu class and you hear, This is what you hear through your schooling year. At least I heard from most of the teachers. And then you grow up and then it becomes a little more polished and they will say, you'll account for nothing. Basically means the same thing, that you are useless. And you hear this over and over again and somewhere in your system, it goes deep and you think, oh, I will not account to anything in life. I will not become anything significant. You know, this may be something your friends tell about you or maybe your parents not everybody has wonderful parents who encourage you all the time. Sometimes you get rejected by what your parents say. Or sometimes your past determines your worth. Sometimes your, your failures determines your worth. But whatever it is that makes you feel insignificant today, I am saying God sees you as somebody who is important. In fact, it is important for us to see us through the eyes of the scripture. If we can just have a glimpse of how God looks at us, then our lives will change. A glimpse of how God sees us, then we will not be depressed ever again. Because what God, when God looks at you, he sees something amazing. Jesus reiterates what he mentioned, what mentioned, what is mentioned in Psalm 139. He talks about, in Luke 12, 7, he says, you are so valuable in the sight of God that even the very hairs of my head are numbered by God. Can you imagine that kind of love and devotion that God has for you? Whoever you are, when you, are, when, you, when you come into salvation, when you get saved, you are bought by the precious blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The key word here I want you all to note is the word redeemed. You would have heard this before, but it's important for us to know the meaning of the word redeemed as we move further to understand how significant we are in the sight of God. You know, the word redeemed can be used two ways. In fact, most translations use the word ransomed along with redeemed. So I'm going to talk about two applications, practical applications of this word, word redeemed. You know, uh, we don't have this now, but in, in history, there were slaves that were being sold in slave markets. And we know that, we, we read that in history. Thankfully, we don't have that. We may have a modern version of slavery, but we don't have the crude, old-fashioned slavery among us. Now, when slaves were being sold, 
in the slave market, they would keep them as objects, you know, and, and people used to come and look at the slaves, and just like you buy uh, vegetables in the market, you can just pick one slave. It was as simple as that. You pay, so if you are a man, the healthiest, strongest, most, you know, usable man, or who can do more work, was given the highest value. And then the scrawny looking fellow who couldn't do anything was given the least value. If you were a woman, the most good looking woman was given the highest value and then went on like that. So the man or the woman who came to buy the slave has to pay that amount to actually buy that slave. Now there were some good people back then. You know, people who feared God, people who loved other people. They would come and they would pay the money that that slave, the price tag on that slave, and they would take them out and set them free. Whatever the price was. In fact, in India, we, we, uh, we talk about this missionary called Amy Carmichael. You know, you heard about her before. She would go into uh, red light areas and prostitution rings, and she would go and buy the prostitutes and set them free. So that price that is paid to buy the slave and set them free is called redeeming the slave. When God saw you, he saw your worth and he decided that no amount of gold, no amount of silver is, is, will, will suffice the worth of this one individual. And what he does, he says, here is the ransom. Here is the, here is the purchase price. I'm going to give the blood that without blemish and I'm going to redeem this person. That's what Jesus did for us. Amen? Now the other, other uh, practical application to uh, being a ransom, we see this a lot in... Uh, in movies, or you would have read this in paper, somebody comes and kidnaps somebody's son and they give a call. And the call, in the call, depending on how rich the person is, they decide the amount. If, if the son is a poor man's son, they will ask for one lakh or two lakhs. But if the kid is a rich man's son, they will say, bring two crores on this time at this point and I will send your son away. If you want your son alive, come. And then a good father probably will not tell the cops and he will go give the two crows and take his son home. What the father did was something called paid a ransom. When God had to rescue you, he gave the greatest price there could be, the blood of Jesus. A blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. A blood that is eternal, that is not temporary. The, the power of that blood is forever. And he decided that you are worth more than gold and silver. And he gave you his blood. He ransomed you with his blood. That's what Jesus did. Your worth is equal to the price that was paid for you. The precious blood of Jesus. I'm going to have the keyboardist come if he's here, and I want to sing a, a Tamil song. You know, I'm going to try. All those who know Tamil, I want you to excuse me uh, for singing, uh, you know, if I have pronounced the words wrong. But I love this song. It talks about the worth that God places in our lives. God has given us worth. We are no longer orphans. 
We are no longer forsaken. We are no longer people who are out there without a value, without purpose, without vision. God sees us. He saw us when we were born. He saw us before we were born. He sees us right now. He sees the future. He sees everything about you. And he loves you. And he calls you his beloved, his son, his daughter, his precious possession. We are his precious possession. I want you to give me the key of D, if you can, Joel. This beautiful Tamil song. Yes. Yarum Maria the Yenai Nandra Yarindu. Teddy Vanna Nalla Nesare Yarum Maria the Yenai Nandra Yarinda Teddy Vanna Nalla Nesare Tuki Eria Petta Yenai Vendumen Soli Setukonda nalla ne sare Tuki eria petta yenai Vendumen soli Setukonda nalla ne sare Umaragana kangalienai kandadale Mudinda then Ninaitanan Uirvargindre Umaragana Kangalienaikandale Mudinda then Ninaitanal Uirvargindre The words The words go this way When nobody knew me you knew me completely and you came pursuing me. When I was thrown away, considered waste, you came looking and you said, I want you. And you picked me up and you brought me close. The moment the eyes of our God looks at me, when I thought I was going to die, I'm living today. Is that your testimony this morning? What nobody wanted, what people considered useless, he picks up and he says, I want you. Joshua wouldn't have had a great beginning. He was born a slave. He had to travel with the people of Israel through desert, through times when, when people were murmuring around him. When there, was, there, were, there were talks about how it was better in Egypt, there were talks about will we ever reach the promised land. But Joshua, God saw him. And God decided that he was going to be special. It's not just about Joshua. Gideon, Esther, David, many of the disciples, they did not have a great beginning. They were just ordinary people insignificant, obscure people, but only he can pick something so insignificant and turn it around. And he's gonna do that for you. 
I want to move on to the next stage of Joshua's life. But before that, I want to point your attention to a verse that many know the first part, but we don't focus on the second part. I want to read it for you. Exodus 33 verse 11. So the, so the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as man speaks to his friend. We know this part. And he would return to the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. This is where I get my title from, the young man Joshua. I want you to picture this with me. And my second point is Joshua, the diligent gatekeeper. I want you to picture this me, with me. Moses, this is how it would happen. Moses is going to meet God in the tabernacle of meeting. He would walk in front of the people of Israel and all the elders of Israel, all the men would come out of their tent, stand in front of the tents and worship God because God was going to speak to Moses. And Moses would go into the tabernacle of meeting and have a conversation face to face. That's what the word says, face to face with the God of this universe. And guess who was there? Joshua. He would be the gatekeeper at the house, at the, at the tabernacle of the meeting. And the Bible says he never left. He was always there guarding that. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say what he was doing, but I'm sure he was fascinated by what he heard and what he saw, and he would not leave. Now, I believe that Joshua was actually amazed at what had happened on Mount Sinai. Now, many of you may not know this, but the Bible talks about Joshua being present with Mount Moses on the Mount of Mount Sinai, the first time the Ten Commandments were given. And Moses and Joshua went up the mountain. I think Joshua was just a servant, just holding probably Moses' uh, you know, his luggage. He was going to go for 40 days, so he was just holding his stuff. He was just walking with Moses. But what happened when he was walking with Moses is he went up the mountain and he had an encounter with God and he saw how God would speak to Moses and he fell in love with God's presence and he decides to become the gatekeeper in the tabernacle of the meeting. I believe this is the progression. He became familiar with the voice of God. And he decided to become close, as close as po possible. Now there were people who were standing in front of their tents. They didn't want to get close to God. Many people don't want to get close to God because they're scared or they don't want accountability or they don't want to get, get real with God. But Joshua is not like that. He decided, I'm not just going to stand in front of my tent. I'm going to press in. I'm going to go straight into the tabernacle of meeting and be there and never leave. What a beautiful thing. Psalm 84, 10 says, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. 
I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. I believe this is where Joshua was being transformed. This is where God is revealing to Joshua himself as Jehovah, Jehovah Makadesh, God who sanctifies, God who makes holy. You know what is the New Testament equivalent of being a doorkeeper in the house of the Lord? One of my favorite verses, I, I quote this a lot, 1 Corinthians 3.18, but we all with unveiled faces beholding as in a mirror the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of God. I call this the cocoon time. The time when we are being transformed in the presence of God. What are we being transformed to? To the image of our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of His majesty. That's where the difference is. And this is not a one-time event. It doesn't happen at the beginning of your life. It happens constantly. You know, I want you to notice something very interesting. In Joshua, if you notice the chronology of events, Joshua already won a battle in Exodus chapter 17 before he became a doorkeeper in Exodus 33. Many times we are satisfied with a victory. We are satisfied with what God did in the past. We are okay with that. But it's time for us to press into God for what God is in store for you today and tomorrow, not what God did for you in the past. That is what Joshua did. He decided he was going to be a doorkeeper. My friends, can you press on to be a doorkeeper? Can you press on to be in his presence? What's the equivalent of being a doorkeeper? Spending time in his presence. Spending time in worship, individually and corporately. You know, one of my favorite hymns, in the key of G? One of my favorite hymns, and I want to sing the third verse of this hymn. So beautiful. Can I have a little bit of the keyboard, please? I'd stay in the garden with him. Though the night around me be falling, but he bids me go in the voice of his voice to me is calling, and he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me i am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there another has ever I feel the presence of the Lord so strongly. And I believe that right where you are in your room, relationship is being restored. You may have, you may have walked away from God. Or you, have, you may have been one of those people who are okay to stand away and watch. But today God is calling you to press in. 
Can you become the doorkeeper in the house of the Lord? Can you become so acquainted and practicing and loving God's presence that he transforms you? It transforms you. From the beginning of this year, we've been hearing our pastors speak about what God wants to do for us. Sister Stubb spoke about how he spoke about how he wants to fill us with oil to overflow. He wants us to press in and, and, and seek for that oil. Pastor Eunice spoke about how we don't, have to, we, don't, we don't have to remain in the outer circle. It's time for us to press into the center where Jesus is, where he wants us. Pastor Wilson spoke about how we have to seek the anointing and long for the power of the Holy Spirit. There is one thing I believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, church, is press on, press on. God has great plans for you, but it is up to you whether you want to remain away or if you want to just get into God's presence. Not even sin can stop you from what God wants because he has made a way for us to get past the veil. If you are struggling in sin this morning, I would encourage you just come into God's presence. He will make you clean. Don't wait for you to be clean before you meet God. Meet God and then he will sanctify you. He will set you free. Whoever you are, wherever you are, he's calling you. You know, one of the songs, uh, the great evangelist, Dr. D.G.S. Dinakaran would say, Ramana Chunnadu. He's calling you. The call is always there. The call is always there. He's saying, come my son, come my daughter. This is what I have in store for you, but the choice is yours. Be like Joshua. And finally, my last point. The third stage of Joshua's life, the latter part of Joshua's story is glorious. He became one of the greatest, if not the greatest captains in the history. In history. He led the people of Israel into the promised land through, th through some astounding, astonishing victories. If you can read, you know, when you have time, if you can read these five, uh, these three victories that it talks about. The first victory it, it talks is the victory over the Amalekites. This is in Exodus 17. I think eight to 16. The Bible says that every time Moses lifted his hand, the people of Israel won. And so Aaron and Hur would support Moses' hand. They put stones so that his hands would be up and Joshua went and defeated the people, the people of Amalek. Uh, people of Amalek. Then the next, next famous battle, you hear the word Joshua, the first battle that comes to your mind is the battle of Jericho, right? the destruction of Jericho. What happens at Jericho? After marching around for seven days, the walls come down with what? With a shout. Can you believe that? And then, and then Israel overthrows, completely destroys Jericho. And then the next battle is the battle against the five armies. Five kings come together, the armies come together, attack the people of Israel. And then what happens? The Lord sends hailstone over the enemies. And, and this is where the sun stands still. Stands still at the army, at, at the battle against these five armies. These amazing battles through this man, Joshua. Here God reveals himself as Jehovah Nissi, God our banner. 
It doesn't matter what battle we are facing. It doesn't matter what situation we are, we are going through. Our God is Jehovah Nissi. God our banner. And just like Joshua, we'll come out victorious. We'll come out mighty. We will come out as, as a victor more than conquerors because God is with us. What God promised through Abraham, he accomplished through God, Joshua. And the Bible, it's beautiful. Moses renames Joshua. His original name is, uh, I think it's called Hosea. And then Moses renames it to Yehoshua. And this is where we get the name of Jesus, Yeshua, from. A lot of Bible scholars believe that Joshua is a type of Jesus. Because Moses represents the law, Joshua represents Jesus. Law can only take you so much, but Jesus can take you into the promised land. All these privileges, all this honor. You know, in fact, the Bible says that in Joshua 4.14, that day God exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel. God can exalt you from your position of obscurity. God can exalt you from your position of defeat if you can surrender your life into God's hand. Let him change you from the obscure Joshua into the victorious, mighty leader, Joshua. And that's what God wants to do for all of you. I want to conclude by, by talking about this, this famous analogy. Everybody, uh, many preachers talk about this. The work of the potter. There are three stages in the life of the clay. You know what the first stage is? Down there. In the dirt, be the dirt, is the dirt. That's the first stage of the clay. And then the potter looks at the clay and he says, I can transform that dirt into something. And he picks up that clay. Unworthy, dirty, people trampled over this. Nobody looked at it and said something beautiful can come out of this. And God picks up, or the potter picks up that clay and places it on the potter's wheel. That is the second stage. The potter's wheel where all the clay has to do is surrender into the hands of this amazing potter. Surrender the second stage where you need to surrender yourself and let the potter mold you. Many of you, God has picked you from that stage. It's time for the second stage. Can you press on? Can you say, God, I surrender. I give you my life, just take over. Just do what you want with me. Just transform me from what I was, dirt, completely rejected. Now you are in the hands of the potter on the potter's wheel. And then the third stage, the most beautiful stage is a finished product where people will look at you and say, wow, a masterpiece. My friends, today God is wanting to turn you from an obscure somebody, nobody, into a masterpiece. I want you all to bow your heads, close your eyes. I don't know which stage you are in right now, but our God has done it in the past. He's done it for all of us. He's done it for me. He can do it for you. I want you to understand the value that God places on your life. 
it's not something ordinary. It's not even something we cannot, we can grasp our mind around. God places so much value on you. He's ready to pick you up, to transform you, and to make you a vessel of honor, a vessel for his glory. I want you to bow your heads as I pray. Father, I pray for everybody who's listening to my voice, who's watching me right now. Holy Spirit, right now, I welcome you to come and transform their hearts, transform their lives, oh God. Just fill, your, fill their room, fill their heart with your presence, oh God. And I pray that whoever feels in, in, insignificant, insecure, unimportant, today they will find worth in your kingdom, Lord. And the God who turned that obscure Joshua into a mighty leader is able to do that for you. I pray, oh God, that you will just transform lives today. And we thank you, Father, for your in work. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen. If you would like more information about our church or would like to make a comment, please mail us at info at newlifeag.in. God bless you.